Here we go. I believe we're going to be live. I believe I am live. I believe, yes, I'm live. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger from dansfish.com. And I'm glad to be here with you all on a Wednesday night. Welcome all. I'm excited about tonight's topic. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a while. So um, basically what I'm going to do tonight mostly is talk about how to make meaningful income breeding fish. And the reason I want to do that is because there's been a lot of videos made and a lot of instruction out there about how to breed fish for profit, which small scale, right? One or two tanks that you usually it's like breed guppies in with maybe some plecos and cherry shrimp or snails, you know, things like that. So you can get enough production um, to, you know, buy some fish food and supplement your hobby. I'm not talking about that. I want to, I want to dive into the economics of what it is to run a fish business and to breed fish to actually make meaningful income, perhaps enough that you could do some things with it in your life that you couldn't normally do. Maybe take a trip, uh, maybe have a, a little bit of a better lifestyle, or if you're retired or and just need some supplemental income, maybe it's that, or maybe if you get a big enough facility and you know, you, you, get good enough at it that you could actually make a full living on it. So I'm going to go over those economics with you and my ideas for setups to do that based on my experience of having done that more or less in the past. Um, so for those that don't know, my background is I, I come from the fish industry. I've been keeping and breeding and um, working in the fish industry since I was a teenager. I'm now 41 years old, so it's quite a bit of experience. Um, mom and pop level, brick and mortar, large distributors as well, large online uh, vendor. Um, and I, I've seen the industry at pretty much every level, as well as, you know, doing my own thing here with my own facility. And as I've been um, planning on expanding this facility and really diving into the numbers and spreadsheets and stuff, um, that supplemented with all the past experience, I believe that's something that might be interesting and fun to say tonight about making meaningful money breeding fish. So that's what I'm going to get into. Before I do that, I'm going to take just a couple minutes. This won't take long to show you two quick updates at getgills.com, a great place to buy and sell fish. Um, Jonathan, the technical savvy guy behind the website that did all the coding and the database and everything, has been working really hard and collecting a database of errors. So anyone that had an error at checkout, you're going to pay for the fish or whatever, and things don't work because, I don't know, maybe you entered a credit card number in wrong, or you entered the wrong CVC code, that three-digit code on the back of your card, or just made a typo, or, thing, or maybe you didn't have enough funds in your account. There's all these scenarios that can make it so that a checkout fails, right? So Jonathan's been collecting those and he spent the last while going through and cleaning up all the checkout stuff. So now if that happens to you, you don't just get an error that says server 500 error. And it's like, well, what happened? You get an actual notice. So let me show you what I'm talking about. And this won't take long at all. So if you go to get gills, let's say you want to buy some stuff. I'm just going to grab some stuff. What Cobra Endlers um, from Pez Aquatics, um, maybe some, I don't know, Bio Aquatics. By the way, I'm very excited that Bio Aquatics has joined us. 
Thanks, Bioaquatics. Um, Corey did a tour of Bioaquatics facility. He's uh, he runs a fish farm out in Florida, and so did uh, the Lucky Schmuck, who's what? What's the name of the channel now? I've forgotten. Uh, back when it was Lucky Schmuck, did a tour or two. So you can get on their channels and check out Bioaquatics's actual facility. But let's say I just threw th- three things in my cart real t- quick to demonstrate this. Then I go to check out. Um, what's the cheapest shipping? That's usually one I pick. There we go. Review the order. Awesome. And then let's say that I enter my credit card number and I'm just making all this up by the way. And I go to here and I submit the order. Well, obviously it's not going to work because I did this all wrong, right? I entered the wrong credit card number and everything. I just typed random numbers. But now, instead of all this going away and just getting a server 500 error, it it revamps so that you don't lose everything, right? You keep the fish you had. If I had had a note in here, this is great. I can't spell and I'm not going to worry about it right now. If I had a note in here, that would have stayed. So all the information that you have entered in your cart is no longer lost when there's an error. Instead, it takes you back to your order and says, hey, there was an error. Maybe re-enter the payment information or try again with a different card. So maybe there was a typo. Maybe there's not enough funds in that particular credit card account, you know, something like that. And then, so that's one error you'll get. And the main point is you don't have to start over. Like, man, I typed a big note to the seller. It's gone. All the fish I had in there are gone. My whole cart's gone. So it makes the experience a lot better. And then the last quick thing is there's also... um, this other scenario, actually, no, I, sh- I think I showed you pretty much everything. Yeah, so so that's what, what we've been working on is making it so that the checkout process is um, smoother and so that when there is an error, it doesn't make it just an absolutely horrible experience, right? Okay, now I'm going to transition into the main focus of tonight's live stream which is, is it possible to make meaningful income um, breeding fish for profit? And I I believe it is more than just, hey, I can now buy a little food or supplement my hobby a little bit or buy a new tank. Um, So let me put on my professorial hat and and dig into this with you. And afterwards, I'm going to give the presentation. I'm assuming it's going to take 20 minutes to half an hour or so. Um, I don't know. It depends on kind of how it goes. I've never given this presentation before. I practiced it. I've, I've developed it, but I've never done it live. So not quite sure how long, but I'm guessing 20 minutes to half an hour. I'll go into it a little bit in depth and then we'll open it up to questions like we always do. If you have a question or comment that hits you as I'm going through this, if you'll make it at Dance Fish so it highlights for me, that would be fantastic. Let me switch this to live chat. Um, That would be wonderful. Um, Then it highlights for me and I can get right to your questions and comments. Uh, As soon as I'm done the presentation, I'll go back to the top of the chat and scroll down and look for those. So that's how we're going to roll. So here we go. The first thing is, oh, I better move my head out of the way a little bit. Um, Hang on. Let me transition and make me a lot smaller. (laughs) I think it'll move me up here. Um, move where I am so that, okay, here we go. That's probably a little bit better. 
So the first thing is I really think it can be done. And let me show you how. The first thing we're going to talk to about tonight, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about two major parts of how to actually breed fish to make meaningful income. The first one is selecting the right species. We'll go into all that. What species maximizes your space so that you can make as much as possible. And then the other thing is, how do you sell? Are you a farm selling to a wholesaler? Do you want to act as a wholesaler selling to a retailer? Or do you want to act as a retailer and sell directly to the public, um, to the end consumer? And there's pros and cons to each of those. And I'll break them down and tell you the one that I personally think uh, works best. So we're going to dig into those two topics. And I think the best way to talk about number one, how to select a species to breed is this. Let's look at this from the viewpoint of your local diner. Okay. So each of these rectangles is a table. So in this particular diner, it's a small diner, there are 10 tables. So let's say that's their capacity, 10 tables. And then these yellow circles represent chairs. So if we look here, it's pretty obvious that the tables that make the most money are this one here, because it sits six people, and this one here. This one makes the least amount of money because it only sits four people. And these make, these are five people each, right? So this is your median income. You get a little more from this table and this table, and a little less from this table. Now, there's some things to understand here, though. If this table, if these folks are eating a meal that only takes half an hour to prepare, I mean, it's a diner, so it's going to take minutes. But let's say for easy math, half an hour to prepare, serve, have them eat it, clean up and get the next folks to the table. And this one is a meal that takes an hour to prepare, serve, get the folks out the door and cleaned up for the next set of people. Then something happens that switches. Now this table is more profitable because we're serving a meal that is a quicker turnaround. So in the same amount of time, we can have eight people eat at this table because we'll turn it twice in the amount we can turn this once. So the whole reason I'm showing you this before we get into actual aquarium stuff is to understand there's economics of space. So in a case where you can have more people at the table, you can make more money. Another way to make money is have less people at the table, but you serve them a more expensive meal or a meal that has a quicker turnaround. So in the fish hobby, the turnaround would be the growth rate. How quickly does it take this fish to get from the point where it's spawned to it's grown up and ready to sell? right? That's the growth rate. Also is how fecund is the species? How often does it spawn and how prolific is it when it spawns? So those are all things to take into consideration because you have limited room in your fish room, just like a restaurant has limited room. So here's what I think a typical hobbyist's fish room or facility looks like. A lot, I hear all the time hobbyists say, man, I wish I could make a living breeding fish. And then I go to their fish room and it's like this. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with what I'm about to talk about unless you're really trying to do this for a living. So here we have this 10 tanks, right? We, now these tables are aquariums and we have fish represented in them. Now, this is a cichlid. These are roseline barbs. These are turquoise guppies. For the sake of this, don't, don't marry the species to the tank. Look at the size, okay? So 
be, let's be species agnostic. And let's just say these are all different species of fish, not necessarily a guppy, not necessarily a cichlid, but this is a rather large fish because you can only fit one per tank, let's say. This is a smaller fish. You can fit four per tank. You can fit two per tank. One of these and a couple of these. So it's, it's looking at how many of each species can you get in the tank. And if you notice, there's only one species here that's spawning. It's these guys with all their little babies here. So the typical fish room, what happens is we're like, I want to do this for a living. I want to make some money. But then we get collectoritis and we start filling the fish room with lots of different species that have lots of different demands because that's fun. And if hobby is the end goal, then that's totally fine. If profit's the end goal, though, then this is the death of most profit. And this is what happens, I believe, to most hobbyists who, dis, who, who say that they want to have a profitable fish room. But then we get collectoritis and, oh, that's cool. I want to keep that. And, oh, that's cool. I want to keep that. And again, nothing wrong with that. It's just not very profitable because it's not maximizing your space. If you have a bunch of adult fish in all your tanks because they're awesome, or even not adult fish, if you have a bunch of different tanks full of a bunch of different fish, then you have no space to raise the fry and to incubate the eggs and to get production going. Okay. So economies of space, how to use the space. And so let's look at this. How are we going to select the species that we want to breed since we know there's limitations on our space and what we can do in it? Well, the first one is the size of the species. And for me, I want a small species because I want to be able to raise a lot of them in a small space. If I have a 75 gallon aquarium and I'm doing flower horns, I can fit one perhaps in a 75 gallon aquarium at an adult size. If I'm doing, I don't know, killifish, then I can fit many, 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 maybe a couple hundred in a 75 gallon aquarium, right? So if the flower horn sells for, let's say it's, I don't know, a, a nice flower horn, 300 bucks, okay? And I can get 300 bucks out of that tank. That's the maximum gross profit I'm going to make out of that tank until that flower horn turns, right? Until I sell it and can, and can raise a new one to go in there. Whereas if it's killifish and I can fit 200 in there and I can sell them, what's retail on a pair of killifish? So there's 200, so that's 100 pairs. Retail on a pair of killifish is easily 20 bucks. Um, so... That's a lot more. That's $2,000 that I've generated from that single tank gross versus 300 for one large fish. So I want small species. Fecundity of the species is important. I want a species that is going to spawn frequently, have large numbers of offspring, and that's basically it, I guess. That's fecundity. Um, so I could do... Let's say I want to do um, licorice gouramis, beautiful fish, small, pretty high dollar value. The issue is they don't produce a lot of eggs. And when they do 
uh, have eggs, they, they aren't necessarily going to spawn really frequently, right? So their fecundity is fairly low compared to lots of other species. This is why the majority of fish that are raised on fish farms and the bread and butter fish are things like barbs and tetras and lots of fish like that. Because what you can do, separate males and females for a week, those females are going to absolutely fill up with eggs. The end of a week, you put them with the male, they have hundreds of eggs. You separate them for a week, maybe two, put them back together, hundreds of eggs, right? High, high fecundity. So that is why bread and butter fish, barbs and tetras and stuff, we can always find in pet stores because farms understand fecundity and they breed species that are highly fecund, right? And that's why the prices on those fish are very low. And that's also why the impact on their natural habitat is fairly low because they're all being farmed commercially. Next thing is time to market, right? How quickly does it take that, the, the eggs to hatch and the babies to raise up? So rainbow fish, if you separate males and females and put them together every week, adult rainbow fish, you could probably get 100 eggs out of a pair easy every week on a Melanotania species, say. You have 10 pairs, that's 1,000 eggs a week. It's probably going to be more than that, honestly. Highly fecund. However, their time to market is terrible. It takes them forever to grow. Um, a, a rainbow fish isn't going to start to get any color for six months to a year. It's not going to develop full color for even longer. So that's why rainbow fish, even though um, they're peaceful, there's some small species. You can keep a lot in an aquarium and they're highly fecund are still expensive just because of their time to market. Their growth rate is slow. That brings you to the last thing which is their temperament. Um, you want, in my opinion, species that are peaceful. The reason is, is because then you can put a bunch in one aquarium, right? Um, there are small species of fish that are highly fecund and grow quickly, but will tear each other to shreds. And so you can't, that's, that's difficult because you're raising a batch, trying to keep them all... <laughs> <laughs> in a tank together is impossible. This is something like betasplendens, right? You have to jar them. And how many jars can you manage? It is much more cost-effective time-wise to have one 75-gallon tank with a lot of fish in it, say 100, 200 fish that you're raising up versus 100 to 200 jars with betas that you have to keep everyone separate and uh, change each jar out manually and feed and all that stuff, right? So, what we're looking for is something that is small, highly fecund, has a quick growth rate, and is peaceful. Supply and demand, we'll get to that in a second. That's the other part. Once we have, say we have 10 species that we think can do all this, um, then we have to think about supply and demand because we have to move these fish. So we'll get to that in a moment. So let's get back to our diner. Oops, what did I do? Here we go. Let's get back to our diner. Okay, these are aquariums now. So to me, this is more of an ideal scenario than 
your typical fish room, which is lots of different species, a ton of fun, never going to turn much profit. So if you'll notice here, there's only two species. There's this species. It's actually a picture, a stylized picture of a roseline bar, but it could be anything. And then there's this species. So what we have going on here is we have a couple of tanks where breeders are breeding and producing offspring, but the majority of the aquariums are for raising offspring because the whole goal, if you're trying to breed fish in your fish room to make an, enough breeding happen and enough babies raised to make a meaningful amount of income. And okay, maybe, maybe 10 bucks a month is meaningful for someone, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a substantial impact on your lifestyle or, you know, college for the kids in 10 years or something like that. Um, then you want to keep the number of species down. I would suggest two in something like this. And the reason is, let's say this is the species we've chosen. And I'll talk about specific species in a little while that I think might be, be good. Um, but if, these, if this is the main species you've chosen, you have a few tanks of breeders because you don't ever want to lose all your breeders. So you always have some redundancy and you're raising a ton of babies of that one species. And then over here, you have a second species. And the reason is, is because when the market dries up for these, let's say you supply the entire market. Now no one wants to buy anymore you need to have a backup species. So while you're breeding your main species, you have another species on the side that you're dealing with. You're learning how to breed it. You're learning how to raise it. You're getting ready so that when this species is no longer as profitable for you, you can switch. Then this species is the majority of the fish room and the first species goes to the side because what's probably gonna happen is in a little while, that species will be in demand again. Or you do a completely new species and start figuring that out. So while you're relying on one species in this scenario, because we only have 10 tanks to play with in this scenario, while you're relying on one species for the majority of what's going on, you always have one little side project that takes a couple tanks, three tanks in this scenario, that you're figuring out so you can transition when you need to. Okay? Now, so again, small, high fecundity, fast growth rate, peaceful. And then here's the other thing we have to look for. We have to look for a high price. It does no good to raise probably something like neon tetras, which are all the things we want, high fecundity, small, fast growth rate, and peaceful, right? They, they seem like an ideal species but their price point is so low because of supply and demand. So what we want to look for, and at the end of this, I'll get into some examples of what I think might be good. And maybe other people have some ideas. We can bounce that around. What you want to look for is all those things that make the species able to produce easily in large numbers, but also that there isn't already a flood in the market for them. So you want high demand and low supply. An example, CPD, Celestial Pearl Danios, um, used to command a much higher price point, and they used to all, I believe, be wild caught. But there was a gentleman in Florida that basically was like, I'm going to figure out how to breed those. He did. And now the majority of his farm is producing all the CPDs that go out of the, the massive exporters in Florida. 
the largest wholesale company in the world, or in the United States, I should say, is in Florida. The majority of the fish you buy from pet stores, mom and pops, brick and mortars all around, even big box stores many times come from that facility and they buy this guy's CPDs. Okay. The same for peacock gudgeons. There's a gentleman in Florida that figured out how to mass produce peacock gudgeons. Now that's the majority of what he does, or at least it got him started. Uh, and, and then he can branch out. So those are two examples of fish that were small, peaceful, fast growth rate, um, high fecundity that had a high demand and low supply. And they saw that advantage and they went with it. And that's why now the price point has dropped because they produce so many and other farms have finally caught up and things like that. Um, there's a lot of farms in Asia producing a lot of those as well. But the majority of the peacock gudgeons are coming out of Florida in the United States. Okay. So, again, we'll talk about those specific species in a minute. Before we do, I want to talk briefly about where you want to enter the market at. And there's two different scenarios for that. Okay. So I've changed the fish room a little bit to demonstrate each of these. So this is more or less how I would use the space in a fish room that was trying to produce. If the fish room were about the size of this screen of this uh, document, this PowerPoint document, right? Mm -hmm. So there would be my breeders and then all for raising tons and tons of that one species. And then here's the second species. And maybe I would have a third just in case, but I wouldn't do much besides the main focus. Um, and then, you know, this would probably be a work table or something like that. And I don't know, storage over here and stuff like that. So anyway, this is the farm style. You're now a farm. You're going to sell to wholesalers, which means you really only need to produce one species in large numbers. So we have 28 tanks. Let's say that the average tank, and, and I just totally made this up. Um, but let's say that the tanks in here produce an average of $100 each. Okay, so the total profit, let's call it gross, each month is $2,800, okay? Again, I just made those up $100 because that was easy math. Like that, it might be totally different depending on the species you choose. It might be a lot more, it might be a lot less. I'm going for easy math to demonstrate this, okay? So this is kind of the farm model, you produce a ton of one thing if this is all the room you have. If you have a lot more room, you can produce a ton of many things. But in most hobbyists, we have a limited size fish room, right? Maybe we have a basement or a garage or something. Um, so in that scenario, if we're going to be a farmer that produces enough to sell to wholesalers, we really only have room to produce one of a lot of one thing. So $2,800, whereas if we set up for more of a retail, okay, 22 tanks, did I get, oh, it's 28 tanks, sorry. <laughs> I might have screwed that up a little bit, but here's the main point, that now the profit per tank is $250 per month. Why? Because if you're selling to the retailer instead of the wholesaler, you can sell for more. So I, I'm guessing the industry, I mean, each wholesaler marks up differently, but let's say that the industry standard is two to three times. So that's why I made this 
250. That's two and a half times as much as I had in here. So if a farmer sells to the wholesaler, they can sell it for a hundred bucks. The wholesaler has their markup. Now it's 250 bucks, right? So if we have a couple tanks for brood stock and then raise some babies, different species brood stock, raise some babies, different species, raise some babies, etc. Then what we end up with is somewhere in this range, $5,500, right? So for a farm selling to wholesalers, we're going to make less in the same amount of space than we would if we were selling to retailers. And the reason we have more species as wholesale to retail is in order for a retailer to be interested, you're going to have to have more than one species because you're going to have to sell to lots of retailers if you're producing lots of stock. So the idea from wholesale to retail is that you have a large variety. So that's kind of the difference. So it would seem like you want to breed and sell directly to retail or maybe directly to the end consumer, in which case you could up that again. Let's say the average retailer's markup is three times. I mean, each store does it differently, but let's say that's an industry average. And I'm making that up kind of, but also kind of not. Um, around there, then you could make even more. But here's the thing. If you're a farm, you do many of a few species, $2,800 a month, wholesaler to retail or to the end consumer, you do a few of lots of species, you make more. But the problem is this, is distribution. If you're a farmer, you're going to find a few wholesalers. And if you breed a lot of one thing, if you're the guy that cracked peacock gudgeons or CPDs, then all you have to do every month or every week is sell all your stock to one to three different wholesalers and you're done, right? You don't make as much $2,800. The problem if you're a wholesaler selling to retail or a retailer selling, if you're a breeder selling direct to the public and you're producing a ton because you have to produce a ton to make enough money to make what we're talking about, meaningful, really meaningful income. And therefore you can only produce one or two species in any real high numbers. Um, you're going to have a real problem finding enough retailers that want to buy those few species you have available. And you're going to have to do a lot of logistics, working with them, finding them and your typical retailer buys one to 12 of something often, right? They're not buying hundreds or thousands. And in this kind of setup, you're probably producing hundreds or thousands, right? So even though wholesale to retail or breeder directly to the public makes more margin, you're probably not going to be able to move all your stock because they only need 12 of them and you've got 5,000 and they're like, I'll take 12. <laughs> like, does that, that make sense? So the distribution is the problem there. So the last thing I want to talk about before I open this up, um, well, I guess just to review, just to review, it's basically two things. It's knowing the economies of space and choosing species with that in mind, 
So selecting the right species, you can produce a lot of them quickly and they're in demand and can select a pretty high price point, right? That. And then where do you enter the market? And if you only have a few species, it's probably going to be you develop relationships with a few wholesalers and you can liquidate a lot of stock quickly that way. If you're chasing retailers or end consumers, um, first off, there might not, I mean, it's going to be hard to get them interested if you only have one or two things. And second, so much of your time and efforts can be spent on that. You're not going to have time to keep raising the fish that you need to do, right? So that's kind of the spiel. 54 Punchy, 110 watching. All right. That's good for this little channel. That's good. So that, that's my basic thoughts on kind of an intro on how to do this. I mean, there's maybe there's a three or four of these in me that I go into detail on a different aspect of this, but how to raise fish for meaningful profit, not just for, you know, a little bit that you can trade for food or, or whatever. Um, now, economies of space doesn't mean that you have to have a bunch of small fish that command a high price point and you get a lot of them and they grow quickly. That's the easiest model. You could raise, you could be the best at raising flower horns. And your flower horns go for, I don't know, $3,000 a piece because you've worked the line so hard and people know your name and you've won so many shows that people will pay that. In that case, yeah, you can't put as many fish in an aquarium, but you can get as much out of an aquarium as you could if you did a lot of smaller fish that commanded a lower price point. But that's, that's an edge case. In general, I, I do believe that smaller fish that breed and produce quickly and grow quickly and all that and have a high price point is the way to go. So I put a little thought in this and I think there are a few species that I was like, okay, so if I was to do this, which species would I choose? And there's a few different ways I think I would go. One is Santa Maria endlers. Okay. They are an endler, which is basically like a guppy. If you know what a guppy is, an endler is like that as far as most of its care, how prolific it is, how quickly it raises um, and grows, the turnaround to market, all that. But um, they command a high price point. So that's one option or something like that, I feel like, or a guppy strain that isn't saturated yet, right? The problem is that they're super easy to breed and raise. So if you did that, you'd probably be on the gravy train for, let's call it a year, before there were so many distributed and everyone else was breeding them because there's no challenge to breeding them. The only challenge is keeping the quality high by culling and selecting the best for future generations, really. But they're as hardy and prolific in my experience as a guppy. So eventually that gravy train is going to run out. That's a short term kind of species because the market will be flooded. Everyone will be raising them because they are truly, I think, the most beautiful endler out there. And suddenly supply and demand is flipped on you, right? Peacock gudgeons, they're still doing that because they're a more difficult fish to raise. And, but they cracked the code and they know how to do it. So even though they sell many, many peacock gudgeons every week and they're all the things you could want in a prolific 
small, easy, hardy, quick to market kind of fish. Um, every Tom, Dick and Harry has not then bought those and propagated them in large numbers and flooded the market. So demand, supply and demand on those went down a bit, but then it found an equilibrium and it's still high enough that, that they're still making a living, uh, you know, doing that fish. So, yeah, I think something like Santa Maria Endlers or a fancy strain of guppy that isn't out there yet, but that everyone wants could be a gravy train for maybe a year before supply and demand flips on you. So that might not be the right kind of fish to do. It might seem like it. And if you're okay with short term, yeah, but you better have something in the wings that's just as easy and beautiful and all that. And that you've tested it and you know there's a market for to switch to as soon as that dries up. I think what I would do is probably killifish. And I don't know which species. There's a few. I, I might do any of the fundalopanchaks, almost any of the fundalopanchaks are going to be super prolific, grow quickly, be beautiful, high demand, charge a, a high price for them, relatively speaking, to many other fish. Um, so those might be a good one. Uh, Blue Glaris, I love. Blue Glaris get a little bigger, though. I've also thought of Aphiosemian um, striatum, gorgeous little fish, meets all the requirements, um, pretty prolific fish. There's other ones like that. So me personally, that's where that's where I would enter because probably because killifish are my passion, but also because they just aren't out there in large numbers. So demand's high and all that. They're a little more of a challenge fecundity wise, though. They're not like a barb where... You put them together every week and you get hundreds of babies. But if you had 10 pairs and you kept them separate and you put them together, um, you could probably end up, my guess is, with around 1,000 eggs a week. Um, I've definitely done 100 eggs a week long term with many fundalopanchaks. So that's kind of where my mind is. I also think wild type bettas might be good, something like betta rubra uh, or betta chinoides. Um, because even though they're not as prolific and stuff, they don't need to be in a big space. So if you had a rack of like two and a half to five gallon tanks and you kept one male in all those tanks and you had a couple tanks of females, say 20, 30 females, and you bred, remove the female, the, the male incubates the eggs he spits them. Once he spits them out, you remove him to a new two and a half to five gallon tank. Let him recover for a couple, a week or two, depending on how fat he is and his, his condition, and then spawn him again. It's not the highest fecundity, but you can fit a lot of male beta rubra in a small space and use the rest of the fish room to grow out lots of babies. So those are a couple that popped in my head. They might not be the best. The best would be like a new species of barb or something that that um, is all those that's as easy to breed and raise and as fecund and prolific and high growth as like a rosy barb or a golden barb, right? So if you can find a species that's just new, um, then that would be awesome. So anyway, those are my thoughts about breeding for profit, but not but but for meaningful profit and kind of the principles that. That, that I consider when thinking about this. And by the way, I have done this um, 
before grad school, I, I did this and I didn't make millions, but I made a substantial enough amount that it, it greatly enhanced my lifestyle. And I wasn't focused on it 100% by any means. It was a side thing. It was still a hobby, but um, it was something that I did and made made decent money on. So I know it can be done. And if if I had a larger space and had focused on it completely, um, you know, I could have ramped it up a little more. And I know a couple people who have paid their way through college breeding like Blue Galeris, for example. So um, it, it definitely can be done. I just think most of us have collectoritis. And instead of wanting to focus on one thing, we want to have fun and focus on lots of things, which is totally fine. Again, it's just not that profitable. So those are my thoughts. With that, I'm going to um, <laughs> scroll up and see what people thought. It's a little bit, I feel a little bit of like sticking my neck out talking about this. Um, uh, just because, oh, another one that, that could be good is angelfish. Not any angelfish. It would have to be a kind of angelfish that is still new enough and nice enough that um, that it's not flooded the market. But if you could find that that newest, latest, greatest morph of angelfish, or if yours are just so much better than anyone else's, uh, you can make good money on, on something like that. Um, okay. I'm on live chat. The top comment I see, though, is Dom1042. Hey, Dom. Says, I was not expecting a PowerPoint-like presentation. That is nice. I'm glad you liked it. But makes me think I'm missing some chat because that can't have been the top. There had to have been some discussion before I started the PowerPoint. So if you left a comment or question before that, please repost it because I literally cannot scroll up any higher in live chat than that. Um, Jeff Chambers, I went to the wholesaler this weekend with a guy from the fish club, he got 550 bucks credit in angels and rainbows. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, although that's credit, I'm talking cash, but yeah, that's, that's not bad for a weekend, right? That could definitely, let's see here. You do that, uh, four times a month. That's decent. That's decent. Terrence Blayton. I made it. Hey, Terrence, I'm glad you made it. Uh, by the way, quick shout out to the to my main moderators, Bob Kaler, Candy Overhauls, 54 Punchy, and wherever he is in the world, Lumpy Dog. Appreciate you all. The next one I see is Michael Mentworth. Breeding is pleasure, not for profit. <laughs> oh, I got to turn my mic down. I'm like way in the red when I laughed there. Whoops. <laughs> I'm never going to live that one down. So for those that missed it, Last week's live stream had this uh, humorous happening where the hashtag that came out of it is breeding is pleasure. <laughs> You'll have to watch it to get all the context. <laughs> all right. MJ Aquatics. Hoy, dance fish and fish fam. Well, hello, MJ Aquatics. Glad you're here. Chewy LTD. There is so much to be considered when it comes to making a profit or Making a living and breeding fish, a lot of variables come into the factor. Market size versus costs of goods sold per, etc. Yeah, yeah, it's it's there's a lot of things to break down, and this is just kind of scratching the surface. But I think that those are principles that I think a lot of people I see a couple of things. A lot of people are like, I'm gonna breed for profit, and they get this fish, say it's uh, I don't know, discus or uh, uh, or something. 
Um, and they think that because it has a high price point, therefore they'll make profit on it. And it's got to be, that's just one part of the equation, right? Or I've seen people that are like, I'm going to breed tons of guppies and make a ton of profit. But the guppies they have are just general run-of-the-mill assorted guppies and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to make tons of guppies. But when you go to sell them, you're going to find that you're not going to get much for them. So there's there's a lot to consider. For sure. Jeff Chambers. So Pseudomugil luminatus would be a good species to breed. Small fish that go for like 20 bucks and breed a lot. Um, I don't know if luminatus would be the best for profit just because they're notorious for eating their eggs. But Pseudomugil uh, fricatus would be decent. However, it doesn't have a super high price point. But there's other Pseudomugils out there that you never see in the hobby. Those would be good. Ivan Stafi would be great. It's hardly ever available. And... Um, I just put an order in for some. I hardly ever see them, though. And they're just as prolific and hardy as Fricatus or as Signifer, the more common Pseudomugils. Um, Kanye, I think I'm saying that right, um, is another species of Pseudomugils. There's lots of them out there. And the only ones that are frequently available are what? Fricatus, Signifer, um, Luminatus, not super common, but, but starting to make an appearance steadily. And uh, Gertrude, also known as Aru2 often, right? Those are, those are kind of the only ones. But Pseudomugils, there's lots in that group. In fact, there was one the other day on the list and I almost brought it in. But they were so expensive. But if I was breeding for profit, um, if that was what I was doing, I probably would have gone for it because I think what at the price they were selling those for, they would have retailed at something like a hundred bucks each or something. Um, and by the way, I'm talking about not, I'm, I'm even skipping the wholesaler, right? At, at that price when I think about the retail. So those might've been worth a shot. There's if you can get your hands on a really nice strain of rainbow fish from like Gary Lang or something, those might be good. You have a higher growth time, yes, but they'll command a high, a pretty high price. So that might be worth looking into. Although I think Melanotanias generally have too long a growth period to be super profitable. But Pseudomugils, yeah, easy to do and grow a lot quicker than your Melanotanias. Their time to market is similar to that of some killifish. They're quick growing. Chewy, oh, rice fish would be good, I think, too. Uh, rice fish are just barely touching the market. Some of the neat Madaka species, uh, some of the Japanese color morphs and things, they're just not here yet. So if you can get your hands on those, they're super prolific, they're hardy, they're easy to raise, you know, all those things that we need. They're small. Chewy LTD market size for big fish is also smaller, but depends upon species as to how much they sell for and the costs involved. In raising farms comes into play over long term. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the ideal thing is a lot of small, peaceful fish that command a super high price, right? Because then you get a lot of money out of a little space. But you could conceivably do a larger species that you can't raise as much of or something, but that have a huge price, right? Yeah, so there's as long as you keep the economies of space in mind when you're making those decisions, you could do a large species for sure. It just have to command a much higher price. Bob Kaler, thank you for linking up 
uh, my T-shirt there. I saw it because it has Dan's fish in the uh, link. <laughs> so <laughs> highlighted for me. Terrence Blayton, where do the majority of Empire gudgeons come from? Trick question. So the majority of Empire gudgeons are imported. Uh, those are not bred commercially yet in any number. That would be a fantastic species, I think, to work with if you could crack the breeding code. The challenge for those is that their babies are super undeveloped. So they basically come from salt water, right? And so they're like a saltwater baby in the fact that they don't have really developed jaws or anything yet. Um, they have to feed on super tiny microorganisms and they can't even like close their mouth and grab them. They kind of just have to swim around in a soup full of them and they just get in their mouth. Um, so they don't need salt water, by the way. Um, I have that directly from probably the premier authority on Australian fishes at this time. Um, maybe not the premier, there's a couple folks in that league, but a scientist, a, a professor, and his life's work is studying fish in detail. Um, there are definitely populations of empire gudgeons that have no access to saltwater. They're too far from the ocean. They have no way to get to the ocean. So saltwater is not necessary, but there's still that challenge of how the heck do you raise those fry? But if you crack that code, that might be a good fish to do. Um, like Preston John, he just cracked the Congo puffer, right? So he's churning out tons of Congo puffers. It was a challenge. Puffer and fry are difficult to raise. They're tiny. They need specific foods. They need lots of live food. So it's a challenge, but he figured it out. And even though that's not a fish that you are going to have 200 adults in a 75 gallon, um, they command a very high price point and there is a massive market right now for them that isn't even close to being satisfied. So yeah, um, I think the Empire Gudgeons are kind of in the same line as that. If you could crack that code, I think you could do it. But right now they're all imported, which means there's an opportunity there. 120 watching. That's not bad for this little channel. Thanks everybody for being here. Um, not sure how we got so many, but if you're liking this, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to like, share, subscribe, hit notification bells, all that schmaz, that would be most appreciated. No pressure, but for those that want to, the offer's out there. The offer, <laughs> the request, I suppose. <laughs> Chewy LTD, I would think that plecos could be one of the fish species that could earn a lot of money for space in regards to space and price point. Maybe. Maybe, but how many of the expensive L number plecos do you know that breed regularly and that have large spawns? Let's take a zebra pleco. That might be a good fish to do, but it takes a lot of space, so you can't get a lot in an aquarium. They're very slow growing. You're a couple, three years before they start breeding. Their spawn size is fairly low. Um, you might get a couple dozen eggs out of them. I mean, someone here might be like, hey, I got 40. I don't know exactly the number, but it's not super high. And uh, so you could, but you'd have to command a much higher price point, right? Which is why zebra plecos are expensive. But those same principles, I feel like, go for a lot of the different L number plecos. Now, that being said, 
I am not an L number Pleco expert by any means. I uh, like that's that's one of my areas where I I know enough to sound like an idiot, right? I don't know enough to actually n- know what I'm talking about. But I know that about the Zebra Pleco. Um, so they might be, but I think the advantage with the Plecos would be the higher price point you can command from them versus high production. And I, I really think it would take a very large facility to produce enough to make a meaningful profit. Um, those are my thoughts, Chewy. You might be absolutely right, but just from what I know from a few species of L numbers, um, I think there's others that could be done easier. However, if plecos are your passion, if you're mile high plecos or um, pleco paradise, uh, I guess those guys import. But, um, you know, if that's your thing and you've cracked those codes and you know the price point you would need to get to to make it worth your while and you can get to that. Yeah, go for it. All right. Mag. I, oh, it jumped on me. I was so excited to do <laughs> Mag Guy. Hang on. For those that have never been on this side of the camera before, I'm, I never mean for this to happen, but there's something about YouTube's chat that ju- it's just in- unstable. It just jumps like crazy. So sorry, every now and then it jumps and I have to re-scroll to find where I was. Um, what it wants me to do is be right at the end with the live chat right there with you guys, but... I can't do that. I have it takes too long to reply meaningfully to the comments and questions for me to just be down there all the time. So 44 Mad Guy one. Hey Dan, great info. I've been watching the African butterfly cichlids that I bought from you. One is getting bigger than the other. Is this a sign that they are male and female? Thanks. It could be. Sometimes it is. If his endocrine system kicked in and now he's bulking up, it, it could be that that's that that's the case. But it also could be that just uh, one's uh, getting a little more food or or was a little further along than the other one and has just hit a natural stage of growth where they're growing quicker. But if I was a betting man and I had money to burn, I would, I would make that bet that that's probably a male, the quicker growing one. It doesn't necessarily mean that the smaller one's a female. It could be a subdominant male. But the one that's growing up really quick, my money would be on a male. That being said, I'd have to look at that species. Just going from the top of my head, yes, I believe it's the male that gets bigger than the female in that species. There are some where it's the reverse, but I think that's right. To LTD, cichlids at cichlids23. Okay, so that's a comment to cichlids23. Michael Wilson, so obviously I should be specializing in astrofungulus. Oh, I can. I never could say this species. I know. I know it's the saber fin, um, Dilectopterus, Enothobranchius furzeri, and Nanthalebis zonatus. Thanks, Dan. So, Michael Wilson, I think that those would all be good to do, except for so. Okay, so here's why. When I said I would do killifish, I didn't mention nothos or or any of the South American annual species. Any annual species is because even though. They're super quick growing, super beautiful, um, you know, all those things, high fecundity and stuff. Their lifespan is sufficiently short that it impacts the reach of their market. So 
A lot of people don't want to buy a species like that because they're very pricey it, it, in a pet store at retail. And a lot of people don't want to spend that much money on a fish that unless they're going to breed it. And a lot of people don't want to breed fish. They just want your average person, your average member of the fish market, right? Your average buyer of fish just wants pretty fish. Um, they aren't going to breed and propagate. They just want a pretty aquarium in their home. So that's why I think those are awesome for resale to hobbyists. But if you're reselling to hobbyists, you can't do it as high a price point as, as if you were a retail store. If you'll notice, most killifish breeders, like if you go, if you buy directly from a killifish breeder, you're probably going to pay around 15 to 30 bucks a pair just depending on, um, let's say 15 bucks for, or 20 bucks, okay, for, for a non super common killifish. If you go to a pet store, that, that fish is gonna be 40 bucks a pair, right? So a little lower price point, and if you can liquidate directly to hobbyists, yes. But if you're trying to produce for a mass market, I think it's gonna be hard to liquidate. Um, I see what wholesalers and suppliers sell those fish for, and it's not something where they're going to be able to turn around a lot of them and have a meaningful sized market. So, but yeah, they're awesome for distributing to other hobbyists that are interested in breeding for sure. And they're amazing fish and I love them. I'm just not sure that they are good long-term choice for a sustainable market. However, semi-annual and non-annual killifish species I think would do fine just because they have a longer lifespan. So the end customer that gets those isn't going to be disappointed a few months down the road when, because they're not going to die on them. Whereas the others will, and then they probably won't buy that fish again. Right. Of Loriac Peterson. And do you remove the parents or eggs or does it depend on species? Totally depends on the species. Most places that are really mass producing though, um, are separating the parents from the eggs, are probably artificially incubating eggs, things like that. Um, but there are some species that the parents do a great job and they raise right up there with them. Um, there are some species where the parents are not interested in eating their eggs or their offspring, but those are few and far between. And um, in general, I would remove parents or eggs if production's the goal. If enjoyment's the goal, I wouldn't because there's nothing so fun as watching a species of fish that has parental behavior going about their parental behavior. That's why cichlids are so amazing to watch. Angelfish are amazing to watch. I, okay, they're a cichlid, but, you know, because of that enjoyable experience. So it depends on what I'm going for. But if we're talking production, yeah, I would be pulling. I would be artificially incubating. I'd be going for numbers. Um, is, as opposed to like the fun of observation. Bathy Filla, the biggest problem I see with killifish for profit is half of your fish are unsellable to the general public, the drab females. Yeah, that's true. However, um, at 20 bucks a pair, there's still probably up there, right? Compared to a lot of fish. Um, at 20 bucks a pair retail, say sustainably. So, but yeah, you're right, Bathy Phila. That is a very good point. And that issue would not arise with a lot of species of fish. So yes, I guess in 
I guess in my mind, I've always thought of killifish as pears. So that's just how they're marketed and sold. So I never, it never even entered my mind during this presentation about that. But that's a good point. The other problem, now that you mention it, Bathyphila, that you could have with killifish is what if your sex ratio is really skewed? What if you get a species and you get all males or 90% females or something that can make them very difficult to move. So yeah, it would have to be a species that you've tested and you know, in your water, the way you raise them and stuff, you're going to get 50, 50% split. And so you sell them as pairs. Um, but you're right. The general public is not going to be interested in, in buying a female. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of. Yeah. Against the flow, my peppercorries laid a ton of eggs today. Congratulations. I'm following your protocol that you use with albino cori eggs. I don't have any live food cultures. What do I feed once they are free swimming? If I did not have live food cultures, I would use rapashi. I would make some rapashi. I'd take a little bit out. I'd kind of squish it a little bit so that it's kind of flat and uh, not quite as solidly adhered together. And I put that in there and... Um, I would try that. I've never tried that. I've always used live foods, but if I had no live foods, that's what I would try. And the reason is, is because it's going to stay stable in there for a long time before it like, you know, falls apart and it's difficult to clean up. So I put that in there in the morning, a lunchtime or whenever I could get back, hopefully lunchtime, I'd take it out, put in, do a water change, put in a new piece when I got back from work that evening, I would take it out, do a water change, put in a, a new piece. Before bed, I would take it out, do a water change, put it, not put in a new piece, not overnight, right? So the rapashi, I think, is a way to keep food in front of baby fish constantly without having the problems you have with powders and other things where the food just kind of disappears and it makes it hard to clean up. So that's my thought. I've never done it. I don't know if it would work. I've always started them with live foods and then moved them to Rapashi gradually, but that's the place I would start. Uh, I'm sure other people here have bred uh, baby Corydoras without live food. If so, would you chime in? Let us know what you used. Maybe crushed up flakes, um, maybe some powders. I, I'm not sure, but let's see what other folks did. That might be useful information for you against the flow. Michael Wentworth, got to go fly airplanes. Work sucks. Thanks for the talk. Nice to hear from someone that has been involved at multiple levels in the hobby. Hate to bail out early. Have a nice night. Well, thanks, Michael. And um, yeah, that doesn't sound like the worst job in the world, going to fly airplanes. <laughs> Have fun. Bon voyage or whatever. 54 Punchy, thank you for demonstrating how to get my attention with an at dance fish. So it highlights. So I see you. I appreciate that. Real stinks. 500 bucks a month can be life-changing for some of us. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. Um, that's security. That's savings. That's, that's, you can do a lot with 500 bucks a month. You can expand your fish room and then make it 750 a month and then expand and make it a thousand a month, right? Yeah. There's lots you can do. The chubby guppy shrimp are for sure a good option. Yeah, I didn't get into that, but shrimp might be good. I, I don't know shrimp very well, which is probably why I didn't get into it. But I know you can raise hundreds and hundreds of them in a single aquarium. I know they go for a good amount of money um, and they have babies, what, roughly every month or so. So shrimp might be a good one to do. Absolutely.
I just don't know enough. I haven't done it enough for it to be on my radar, so to speak. But yeah, for someone that knows what they're doing, I'm sure that shrimp could be a great option. The Fish Tank Barn, speaking of breeding, finally have Limia Fry, Limia Perugier. Awesome. Have enough algae for the fry to hide. Congrats, man. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and Limias are another good one. Perugier, Nigra Fasciata. There's lots of wild type live berries out there that are prolific and hardy and all that that might make a good project. Um, Bidiads would be harder just because they're not as prolific. They grow slowly. They have babies a lot less often and all that. They do command a slightly higher price point. But um, Bidiads would probably be good to do for conservation and for fun and some profit. But I think something like the Limias are as prolific for me as like sword tails. And Limia Nigra Fasciata is my most profitable aquarium here in this, this facility. Um, they just keep cranking out babies like crazy and I can't produce enough to keep up with the demand. So, and, and I, I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of babies are produced in that thing every month and they go for 15, 20 bucks a pair, which is not bad. Um, Chewy LTD, okay, yes, Chewy agrees. Rare live bears would be a good fish to breed. Yep, some of them are cares, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, so we're a green. <laughs> Ken's fish, RU2, hard and take a lot of time. Yeah, so of the pseudomugils, getting back to that, those are the blue eyes, right? We call them rainbow fish. They're not really rainbow fish. Uh, purists hate it when we do that, but let's call them blue eye rainbow fish. Uh, Fricatus, those are the forktail rainbows. Um, Gertrudes or RU2s. Um, Signifers are Pacific blue eyes, I believe is the common name, one of the common names. Um, of those, the Luminatus and the Gertrude are probably the most difficult because their eggs are small compared to the others, and the fry are smaller, so they're a little more difficult to raise. Whereas Fricatus, Signifer, uh, Ivan Staffi, I believe Kanye or Con I have to look at, I have to read that to know what the actual name is. And some of the others have eggs that are as large as killifish eggs, almost as big as like rice fish, fish eggs. And the babies can pretty much eat baby brine shrimp right away. So uh, yeah, I think that the smaller pseudomilgills like the Gertrudes and the, and the Luminatus and stuff would be more difficult for sure. But some of the others would be, would be good. HC Aqua, I'm collecting lots of eggs, pulling them off mops since I only have so many mops. Yep, that sounds like a good evening to me. That sounds like a fun time. Rainbow fish, rice fish, killifish. Yep, pull those eggs. <laughs> Bathy Villa, there are some wild type live bears that have basically unlimited demand but have problems for profit. Sword tails take forever to grow out. Goodyeads have low fecundity. Um, yeah, goodyeads have low fecundity. Sword tails, in my experience, don't have to take that long to grow out. Um, if you keep, if you raise them in a larger, okay, if you raise sword tails in a 10 gallon aquarium, like a lot of people do, 20 gallon aquarium, yes, they're gonna take forever to grow out. However, if you raise them in a 75 gallon aquarium, you know, 120 gallon aquarium, you know, a tub that's a big pond in your fish room, something like that, if you keep food in front of them and keep their water clean, they'll grow so much faster. And that's why they're 
still super cheap on the market because the farms know this. So the farms that breed them um, raise them super quickly. And that's why they're super cheap at the pet store. The issue is most of us as a hobbyist, when we're trying to raise them, we have small tanks. So that's the limiting growth factor there. So it depends. If you have a facility with large tanks, then a really nice strain of swordtail um, that you've worked on or you know breeds true more or less could be a good one. Um, domesticated swordtail. And there's, there's lots of wild type swordtails too that, that could be quite good. Goodyeads, I agree though. Um, yes, for conservation. Yes, for fun. Yes, because they're awesome. But for profit, that's going to be difficult. Team Aquatics, I know a Pleco breeder who has 40 female L46s, zebras. His goal is to breed 1,000 L46 fry in one year. Last year, he bred around 400. Yeah, okay. 125 bucks each, not bad hobby income. Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad at all. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good for him. Yep. Uh, again, like you all know that have been here for a while. Plecos are just something I don't know that well. So if he was able to raise 400 of them and sell them for, call it a hundred bucks for super easy math, that's four grand. You know, that's not bad at all. Now, I guess the question is how big of a space did it take to do that? Um, and is there another species that could be done pleco or non pleco that you could convert that to even more money per year. But yeah, absolutely. Four grand plus a year. Not bad. Terrence. Oh, Terrence. It just jumped on me. Dang it. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, geez. There he is. Sorry, Terrence. Terrence Blayton. So they don't come from the Death Star. Thanks for the thrill explanation. The force is strong with you. <laughs> oh, those Empire Gudgeons. <laughs> yep. You can only collect those at Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> Bathy Phila. I think the wild type Limias and Platys would be good fish for a profit. Very fecund, peaceful, and can be sold young. Yes, absolutely. Lots of the wild types. I'm telling you, Limia Niger Foschiata is the most profitable tank I have. It's just amazing how much they sell and how that market is, isn't even scratched yet. Everyone wants Limias. They're awesome, right? But you just can't find them easily. And when you can at a pet store, they're freaking expensive. 44 Mad Guy went, okay, awesome. Thanks. I was hoping male and female so I can breed them. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, I hope that works out for you. And by the way, if you have a male and female, odds are they're going to breed for you. They're a pretty prolific uh, fish and, and a, a, yeah, hopefully that works out for you. But I think it will if you ended up with a pair. <laughs> Bob Kaler and Candy Overhauls, thanks for promoting the t-shirts. Oh, I still have to check that. I have not checked my Teespring in six months. If I go there and there's like a thousand bucks in that account, that's going to be awesome. That would be great. <laughs> Bathy Phila, maybe 
think Aphanius Mento would be a good profit, Killy. I just raised my first juvenile and was surprised how fast they grow. I think a lot of the Aphanius would be good to a point. They're prolific. They grow super fast. They're hardy and all that. Um, the issue can be, it, I mean, you can get away with a big group of them in an aquarium. Um, the issue is they're a little more, I don't want to put this, maybe a little more pugnacious than your average killifish. So they might not be able to be combined with as many other different kinds of fish as, say, an Aphiosumian striatum. So there might be limitations a little bit on what kind of fish can be kept with them. Um, but be, but they're not horrible by any means. So if that's taken into account, they might be a good one. They are beautiful. The, the other issue with Aphanius, I guess, when I'm thinking mass market wise, besides they kind of nip, they'll nip fins on fish with long fins and things like that for sure. Um, in my experience, maybe yours is different, but that's been my experience. But the issue with Aphanius is if you have a big group of them in an aquarium, only one maybe two will color up, right? You're going to get one really dominant male that's all juiced up and doing all the breeding and controlling the whole aquarium. And so retailers are going to find they can only really sell one or two per tank, like one male or a pair maybe. Otherwise, what's going to happen is a customer will go, they'll buy a bunch, they'll put them in their tank, and then they'll be like, expecting all of them to color up and be beautiful and that just won't happen so that's a bad end customer experience um, because their expectations are not going to be reality so that's the other problem i see with the aphanius species that being said i think aphanius any aphanius is an amazing fish to sell directly to other hobbyists they're in demand they're great other hobbyists you know know things about them that won't create that disappointment factor that you would experience in the general market with your general uh, person that has just a pretty tank in their living room, right? So I think they, they could be good, um, but probably not for like uh, an operation that wants to produce many, many thousands of fish and sell them directly to say a wholesale facility. Matthew Phila, for killifish, if you could figure out how to skew your sex ratio to males, it may be beneficial, yeah. That's right. And there are some species like that killifish hobbies actually hate it when this happens, but where the sex ratio, they'll get almost all males all the time. And it's a problem because if you're a killifish hobbyist, you want pairs because you're into breeding and all the other killifish hobbyists that you're going to distribute them are into breeding, um, distribute them to or into breeding. But you might be right if uh, the general public might just wants pretty killifish males. Yeah, you might be right. Of course, if it's too skewed and you gradually, after a few generations, run out of females, <laughs> then you're done. You just can't produce anymore. Uh, 2LTD, what are some of the costs in raising fish? Electricity, food cost, um, footage space, some marketplace. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's lots of costs. Um, and I have a video on just what it costs to build this facility out there. Um, I forget what it's called. Um, if there's a mod that uh, wouldn't mind if you'd post that video below to at least know kind of what it costs to build this thing. 
I can't remember if in that video I put my electricity and water bill and all that or not, but you're right. There's the food, there's the electrical, there's the water, there's, um, keep, you know, the heating in this case, in this fish room, that's a gas bill is a gas furnace. Um, yeah, but you know, you can kind of, if you already have a fish room, anyone that has a fish room or a few aquariums, you can calculate if you keep track, uh, what you're spending every month on that. And that'll give you an idea of in your specific instance and in your house and how you keep aquariums and fish and things, um, how much the cost is. And then you can kind of extrapolate and be like, well, if I was to do, you know, three X, three X, the number of aquariums you currently have is world peace, right? Um, then, uh, yeah, you can extrapolate that. But you're right, Chewy, there's lots of costs. And I'm in the thick of it. I have this, I mean, calculating all these costs for potential investors and everything. I mean, it's, any business is pretty involved. Yes, I love this. The fish tank barn went back to Grand Rapids and picked up some Giardinichthys metallicus. I love that fish. It's some more, some more goodies. Yes, that's one of my favorite live bearers ever. I love the um, Giardinichthys. Oh, wait, that's not Giardinichthys. That's Giardinus. Is that the black chin live bearer? That's the one I was thinking. Let's see if I was right. That's the one that popped in my head. Um, yeah, I believe so. So we're talking about this guy. Um, yeah, the black chin live bearer. It's not Giard Giardinichthys is the one I was thinking of. I guess this is a different genus that's just spelled similarly. Um, but yeah, these guys are one of my favorite live bears. I've kept them and bred them and they're absolutely fantastic. And I think something like that would be a great option. <laughs> Cichlids 23, Luminati, what? Yes, Cichlids 23, you are one of us now. Did you not know that? <laughs> Luminatus, Pseudomugil Luminatus. Tech Turtle's off to bed. Well, Tech Turtle, thanks for being here. Hope you have sweet dreams. <laughs> Tech Turtle, oh, didn't quite leave. Oh, saying hi to everybody. Okay, well, hi and bye. I'm glad you could join us. And I totally get the bed thing. It's important. TM Aquatics. Oops, it jumped on me. Uh, so the guy that turned out a bunch of zebra plecos, he uses his 22 by 24 foot garage as his fish room. He also breeds a bunch of different plecos, L numbers. He also breeds red Bulu Point cichlids. Cool. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, cool. Wait, 400 times 125 is 50K? Hang on. I can do math in my head. Oh, geez. Why did I get 400K? Or I, I thought that was 4,000. That's 50K. Yeah, that is not bad income for a garage. Not bad at all. Okay. Michael, thanks for bringing that to my attention. I can do math in my head. It would just require me to actually pause and do it. And when I'm in front of camera, like there's so much going on that to stop and divert that brain power, I just didn't do it. But I'm glad you caught that. 50K. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Okay, TM Aquatics. It's all making a lot more sense now. <laughs> Is a 10-gallon good enough for guppies, says L Flower One Stars. It didn't highlight, but I just happened to see it. Yes, uh, definitely. Um, you know, you can raise a certain amount in a 10-gallon aquarium for sure. 
Chewy LTD, between working in a pet shop and paying rent and park power for my fish room growing up, I was able to have more in the hobby in a 60 tank fish room, but rent at home is different. Yeah, mortgage, sure. Bathy Village, Gennard, sorry, Gerard Nickthes is a cool Goodyear genus, yet critically endangered in the wild, rare in the hobby because they can't take temps above 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, there's one of those that I really like that has like just the massive extensions on the fins and things. I forget the name of the species exactly, but the Gerard Nickthes is one of my favorite genuses. But I do like that black-chinned uh, live bear a lot as well. Cool. All right. So hopefully that was interesting for folks. Um, you know, it was a little more formal, that presentation, than our what we typically do. Uh, I hope there's good information in there. We'll, we'll see like how many views it gets and stuff to know if that's something that'll continue or not. So far it's doing good. Um, I, Corey's out of town, isn't he? He's in Peru. That's why. <laughs> now I know. Now I get it. <laughs> but anyway, folks, um, I want to thank you all for hanging out. In a few minutes here, I'm going to go ahead and, and shut down the live stream. We've been going for an hour and 22 minutes and we've reached the bottom of the chat, which means we probably reached kind of the natural endpoint for the discussion of that topic. So if you have a question or comment that you do want to discuss right now, list it below. It can be on breeding fish for meaningful profit, or it can be on anything else aquarium hobby related. Um, if you have that stuff, drop it and we'll continue the discussion. Um, if if that doesn't happen, that's fine. We'll, we'll wrap things up a little bit. Um, by the way, I want to thank a couple folks that super chatted. I am not the, I don't, I, I'm reluctant to go look those up. I can't scroll up enough to see who they were, what the amounts were again. I just saw a couple flash up there briefly at one point. So um, I'm sorry, but to the two, Tampa Tom was one of them, I think. Thank you, Tampa Tom. And whoever else super chatted, just thank you so much. Um, it was just a brief flash and then chat configured on me weird and I, I couldn't get up to see them again. But thanks to everyone that super chatted. Always appreciated. Never required. Oh, some other stuff came in. Great. Oh, yes. Yes. The fish tank barn. I think you're thinking of Gerard, Gerard Nick, these um, multiradiatus. You might be right. Let's check that one out. I think you're probably right. There's... Yes. Yes, I am. So here they are, just an absolutely stunning fish. Um, and this gets a lot darker right now, that picture. It's not spread or, or that dark or anything. Let's see if we can find one in display here. Eh, kind of. But yeah, uh, Gerard Nickthes is just an amazing genus. Um, absolutely. Probably not great for profit just because of the limited number of people that have tanks that are in the mid sixties <laughs> up to about 70 degrees or so, but Bob Kaler, 20 bucks. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bob's saying, wrap it up. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just clapped into the microphone. Jeez. Probably sounded like a shotgun. <laughs> that's, that's subtle, Bob. <laughs> I think Bob has plans tonight. <laughs> it's like, here's 20 bucks. If you'll just end it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the super chat bob always appreciated never required but it does make the wife super happy 
Okay. <laughs> Terrence, it's been a pleasure as always, brother. Well, thank you. Right back at you. Candy, I still haven't been served at my table, but the presentation was great. <laughs> I love it, Candy. That's awesome. Ed Young, loved it. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for being here, Brian. Yes, more info, please. It's interesting. Thanks. Awesome. I'm glad you liked it. Chubby Guppy, hello. You're welcome. It was Jeff Chambers who super chatted. All right, Jeff Chambers, thank you so much. Um, if I was, if I knew how to do this better, I, I would know how to look that up. Wait, is this it? Hang on. I see a super chat. So, oh, wait, it wants me to super chat myself. I'll do that another time when I'm not live. Bathy Phila, I think you've inspired a bunch of us to set up breeding racks. Yeah, go for it. And, you know, I guess there's an in-between. There's the, I'm going to do this for profit, one or two species and churn a ton of them out. And then there's, no, I want to have several species churn a few out, make a little more profit um, than in one or two tanks, but but not quite go for, you know, just that. Yeah, there's all kinds of gradients in there. Yeah, of course. One or two racks in your fish room that are dedicated to profit while the rest is for funsies. That's not bad either. Dan Slee. Hey, Dan. Been a wonderful stream, Dan. Been lurking and listening. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Hey, you're welcome, Dan. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm lucky I saw that one. Okay, folks are saying, good stream. Terrence White, you should try to get memberships going soon. Tougher to do a live than it appears. Yeah, sometimes it is. So Terrence, I've I've seen others do memberships. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Um, maybe, you know, if the channel grows to the point when, when the channel grows to the point where some differentiation makes sense, maybe I will. But I I don't want to, at this point, it doesn't make any sense to me to do some content for everyone and some stuff that's only for members. And I feel like I would feel that I had to do that in order to justify memberships. And I don't want to do that, right? I want to do everything and make it out there for everybody. There might come a time when the channel grows where I look and I'm like, okay, it makes total sense now. There's enough people that would want that and um, and I should do that. But I don't know if I will ever get even, I don't know, even if I got to a million subs, let's say, Woo, there's the dream. Um, even if I got there, I'm still not sure if I would want to do separate content for people uh, just, you know, for monetization purposes. I just don't know how I feel about that. So, but I appreciate that. Thanks for the suggestion. Um, and yeah, and I've thought about it. I'm just not quite there. Oh yeah. Bob Kaler, congrats on 6k subs. So we did it. We're a little over 6k subs now, which is awesome. So thanks to everyone that subbed up and helped make that happen. Keith, 74, 6N, $10 super chat. Thank you for the knowledge. Hey Keith, thanks for the super chat. Greatly appreciated. Never required but greatly appreciated. And it does make Brenda super happy. Okay, last couple and then we'll end it. Although, I don't know, the longer I talk, the more these super chats roll in. <laughs> I'm joking. True LTD, yes, it's been a wonderful stream. Um, thank you for the aspect of my question in general to help teach the whole factors involved and really making a life off the fish hobby. Yeah, there's, there's other videos out there in how much it costs to build a fish room. I can't remember if I have operation expenses in there or not. Uh, I think I might. I have to look into that, Chewy. It's been a while since I made that video. 
the chubby guppy, thank you for keeping it open to all. Yeah, for now, that's what I'm doing. Um, Rob Twert. I'm sorry, I totally butchered that, Rob. Rob Truwert or Treewert, maybe. I'm going to go with that. Rob Treewert. Opinion on Golden Wonders for Profit. Um, I would not do Golden Wonders just because they're being farmed already in massive numbers. So their price point is fairly low. But I would totally think about the wild form of that species, which is called Aplicylus lineatus. Let me just show it to you real quick. This is an amazing fish. And it's almost disappeared with the rise of the golden wonder. However, I do know a couple people that have got some wild types in recently. So this is the golden wonder, right? It's the gold morph of this fish, Aplicylus lineatus, which call me a purist. I don't know. I like a lot better this, this wild form. It's absolutely stunning. It's been a favorite in the hobby for generations. Literally, it was one of the earliest killies to come in and be propagated successfully. And now it's super hard to find this nice striping on the females and the males get that just brilliant coloration. It's not a great picture, but you get the idea. Um, and now it's almost impossible to find this wild form because the golden wonder has taken such precedence. So I wouldn't do the golden wonder, but I would definitely think about the wild type. They're not quite as prolific and they don't grow quite as fast is a lot of the aphiosimians and Fundalopanchax can, but they would be worth looking into and testing and seeing what exactly is the turnaround time and um, in figuring that out. I, I mean, I would love to see them come back in a big way. And they're just almost gone. Jeff Chambers, five bucks. Hey, thanks. Congrats on 6K. Don't get too big too quick, sir. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not. I've been doing this for a while and we just broke 6K. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not skyrocketing like some of the other channels have. I'm not, you know, doing any hacks and I'm not, I, I would love it if there was a massive YouTuber in town um, that I could like be like, Hey, help me out. And they would feature me. And then suddenly I would get, you know, 10, 20 subs, uh, 10, 20,000 subs or something like that. But, um, but that's not the case. So, yep. I'm just grinding it out, man. Grinding it out. There's another one. <laughs> Chicks and flicks, breeding is pleasure, grinding it out. I think those are the top, um, <laughs> the top quotes so far from my live streams. <laughs> Brian, bleeding is hashtag breeding is pleasure last week and now 6K this week correlation question mark all right hey thanks everybody we're gonna cut it here i appreciate you all that super chatted thank you so much um thanks to my mods for doing a great job thanks to anyone that asked a question or left a comment so we could make the chat lively all you that were just chatting among yourselves having a good time that's awesome that helps people feel engaged and all you lurkers i'm with you i feel you have a wonderful evening We'll see you next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, same bat time, same bat channel. And uh, if you haven't subbed, liked, subscribed, or um, hit notification bells, that's always fun. <laughs> all right. Talk to you all later. Thanks.